For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Welcome to Parts Unknown, the show that gets maximum value out of its WWE Network subscription by plundering the WrestleMania and, in some cases, Total Bellas archives. Producer Ben, I'm looking at you, kid. Today we're casting an eye back over WrestleMania 14. Some would argue the most historically significant super show we've covered yet. We say goodbye to Shawn Michaels, hello to the Austin era, watch Mike Tyson enforce the main event, see Rocky Maivia midway through his transformation into The Rock, and much more besides. The show went down on the 29th of March 1998 at the Fleet Centre in Boston. Once again, JR and Jerry Lawler had the call on a card that lasted a very reasonable two and three quarter hours. Here to break it down, our very own version of the Nation of Domination. First up, she's an author, a baker, a thinker and a doer. She's also the world's most dangerous woman. It's the Doctor of Wrestling, Carrie Dunn. Hello. From Sky Sports News, it's Bodacious Anton Tolui. Hello there. And from pretty much everywhere else, it's Bombastic Karl Anka. Hey everyone. Before we get to our match-by-match breakdown, looking at the event as a whole, fair to say this was the the birth of the Attitude Era. Carl, you were probably about three years old when this happened, so only logical that you get to answer it first. I was seven, I'll have you know. Uh, And yes, it was. was There's a very specific moment in the main event, right at the start, where Shawn Michaels is like hopping up and down and goes to shake Stone Cold's hand, and Stone Cold gives him two middle fingers. And from that point on is the birth of the Attitude Attitude Era. Stone Cold, two middle fingers to Shawn Michaels. Attitude Era begins there and then ends in, I'm going to say, end of Rock Hogan in WrestleMania 18. All right, well, you mentioned Stone Cold, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels there. That's where we're going to start this week. Austin beating HBK for the WWF title. Uh, The background to this, Vince called on Mike Tyson to help topple WCW. Anton, it, it worked, didn't it? Like or loathe Mike Tyson. He added a dimension to this match that got everybody interested and the public were hyped. This was huge. This was absolutely massive. And the events they did around it, you know, in the build up as well, where Tyson didn't just do, you know, the main event here. He did the build up. He, he, he was PR a heel, event. wasn't he? He joined DX and, and did like that famous, you will heartbreak promo. Ex- exactly. Um, and it worked. Please do that again. You will heartbreak. <laughs> That's my Camp Mike Tyson impression. No, fuck all of this. <laughs> fuck Mike Tyson. Fuck him because he's a fucking heel. He had just been convicted for rape. He was out of prison and WWF take him on. And Triple H and Vince still pissing about now talking about how China can't be in the Hall of Fame because she did porn. Mike Tyson is a convicted rapist and they're happy to have him in. No, fuck this. Sorry. Mike Tyson has a very unique pop culture position where I am very uncomfortable with him being put forward as a kitschy, funny, here's an animated cartoon on Adult Swim with Mike Tyson, because he is both the perpetrator of sexual assault and the victim of sexual assault, and outside of that has said some very, very disgusting, unrepentant things about his crimes. Um, The documentary Tyson, where he is forced to watch footage of himself and what he did during the 90s, and where he talks about the rape, 
uh, case and his marriage with Robin Givens and what he thinks of Don King. He is difficult and we shouldn't play him off as this interesting, funny cartoon. I think he's emblematic of a lot of various vices we had in the 90s and the 2000s. But the same, but I, I, you know, I can understand why they brought him in, and it did work. And he offered something to WWE. But we need to, you know, right now, when we're recording this right now, it's just been announced that WWE is going to go back to Saudi Arabia. And we do have to, you know, I've said before on this thing about how I cannot keep watching WWE without having to put money elsewhere. There needs to be a greater reason to have someone on WWE other than just, they'll get eyeballs. Because if you if your barometer is just they'll get eyeballs you'll bring in unscrupulous individuals like Mike Tyson like Floyd Mayweather like Donald Trump but that is completely their matrix that is exactly how they measure things like this and I appreciate that you're kind of giving a nuanced take on this but WWE WWF have never treated Tyson as problematic in the way that they've treated some other people as problematic who have got slightly checkered past I me mean, human beings are human beings everyone does you know bad things silly things stupid things as you say Tyson is is pretty much unrepentant for the things he was convicted of and I find that absolutely disgusting and I think you're right that they do play him off as a kind of almost like a comedy heel here, and it's really uncomfortable for me to watch. It's- America does in society today. It's not just I'm, I'm not sticking up for WWF WWE, but it's not just WWE. I mean, he's in the Hangover films. So he said he's in Adult Swim. It's just, that's that's the, he, there is a character around Mike Tyson now as opposed to the man that was seen as this destroy uh, this this destroyer of a boxer that is uncomfortable. But at the same time, like we like we do, I'm, I'm just trying to look at it from a point of view which is Tyson in this main event got more eyeballs and it wasn't just more eyeballs it made the main event bigger which meant the crowd was more into it which made the intensity was that like all over I'm just that's what happened but again that's another kind of Vince justification we're going to go to Saudi Arabia well, and rake in more money um, but it doesn't matter that we're leaving the female roster behind because you know money is the big thing that's the bottom line and yeah, I get what you're saying, and I know that you're not defending it. It just makes me furious that I'm watching this, and there's this so this Mike Tyson comedy cipher that I'm being presented with, that I'm supposed to be on side with in some kind of way. So, you, it, obviously, the excuse that they might offer is, well, he served a jail sentence for that crime, and that is done, but that's not an excuse that, or an explanation, rather than an excuse that would hold any water. It's not an explanation or an excuse, and... Again, I'm kind of thinking of it with parallels with other people who, as I say, who have slightly checkered past. And again, I'm coming back to China again. She hasn't done anything that was illegal that she's been that she was cast out for. Whereas Tyson's kind of welcomed, and because he has that no that almost that notoriety, that's his selling point for WWE. That they're not really that bothered about what he's done. They're bothered about how much he can bring in. So he, he was the, the special enforcer for this match. Let's let's go on to talk about the match itself. Shawn Michaels came into it legit hurt. This would be, I said, we were saying goodbye to him. We were for a, a prolonged period of time. He'd broken his back effectively at the Royal Rumble earlier this year in a, in a spot in the casket match with The Undertaker. Um, he deserves a lot of credit for being able to get through this match. Do you think this is the guy who lost his smile and faked a knee injury, which we'll talk about in, in upcoming weeks? He could easily have swerved this in the way that he did things earlier in his career, but but he did the right thing here. He could have, but then the Undertaker would have beaten him up, real life, apparently. So the story goes, before the, uh, they both walked out, Undertaker taped up his gloves, sat in gorilla position, 
went to Shawn Michaels, these are for you if you don't do the job. Which, again, it's one of those weird things where we're like, oh yeah, that that like speaks to how wrestling law is its own thing. But no, you've you've physically intimidated and threatened a coworker and threatened to beat them to within an inch of their life if they don't do their job properly. In the real world, that's weird. In wrestling, that makes perfect sense because there's wrestlers court and whatnot. Uh, and Undertaker was very much the leader of that. Wasn't oh yeah, Undertaker was the leader of the locker room from 1992, pretty much, which I find fascinating. Um, there are times in this match where Shawn Michaels does reach for his lower back, and I can't tell if he's doing that because it's storyline. He has a dodgy back, or if he legitimately is in a lot of hurt. He's also in uh, a phase that my friend once described uh, the cocaine paranoia phase. <laughs> where you can see in quite a lot of uh, celebrities and pop stars especially where they just start dressing more and more extravagant and wearing very large sunglasses because they're just taking loads of cocaine and they can't get their lives to get, like in order um, and the annoying thing about the cocaine paranoia phase is it's quite interesting to look at so that there is like something there's a unique visual arresting energy to Shawn Michaels at this phase because he's clearly in a bad way and he cannot get his shit together um but he manages to get it all together for 25 minutes and then disappears, kind of, because Shawn Michaels loves the spotlight and will be back for the next three WrestleManias in a suit. It's kind of sad, Anton, that the third thing we're talking about in this match is Steve Austin winning the title for the first time, which should really have been the, the main focus of it. Yeah, and considering we started the podcast talking about the birth of the Attitude Era, and then he is the guy in the Attitude Era, and you know, when it's, you get JR proclaiming at the end that Austin era has begun that should be the focus of this entire WrestleMania. And obviously it isn't because of the other factors we mentioned. But as a match, it's relentless. Considering the shape Sean was in physically, and obviously, as Carl mentioned, his what was going on in his personal life and private life, I don't know how you can go through this match is just vicious it's this knee attack after knee attack and just so much battling goes outside the ring and Relentless is the only word I can really think to describe it. I, I genuinely don't understand how... You know, we see it quite often how a wrestler will have a big match when hurt because they know they're going to take some time off. I, I cannot get my head around it. No other sort of sport does anyone really go, right, my knee's absolutely knackered, but I'll take the next nine months. It just doesn't really happen. But for some reason, pro wrestling, it does. I don't understand how you get into that mindset. So therefore, Carrie, for the reasons that Anton and Carl have mentioned, it, it, Michaels was justified in being reportedly livid at the fact that he got the Austin 316 shirt draped over his head at the end of it it's I know you're not his biggest fan but having gone through that and done what he did he, he, you know he even took the punch from Tyson at the end maybe he deserved a little a little bit more than that maybe I mean I didn't know that that he was livid uh, after because I was actually kind of watching it thinking oh Shawn Michaels doing the job for someone, putting someone else over, not protecting his ego. But no, okay, fair enough. And, but yeah, I was actually quite surprised by that. I thought uh, it was quite insulting. It was all very derogatory and I was surprised that Shawn Michaels went with it, but clearly he didn't. Next, I want to spin all the way back to the top of the show in the 15-team tag battle royal. The returning LOD with Sonny in their corner would win. Uh, our first look at the Legion of Doom, or LOD 2000, as they were around this time. Uh, explain for those who don't know how significant they were to tag team wrestling, not just in the WWF, but but in various promotions. Uh, Hawk, Michael Hegstrand with Diver Heart Attack, age 46. Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, John's brother. The fact that they've, they've got their own uh, saying for how big a crowd response is illustrates that they were a big deal. 
Yeah, so the the story is the loudest the loudest pop you'll ever hear in wrestling is a Legion of Doom pop, and the pop they get when they come out here is huge, absolutely huge. They also have the most protected finisher of all time. Apparently, no one ever the Doomsday device. Yep, apparently it has never been uh, successfully escaped. Um, I'm sure that's wrong somewhere, but I haven't seen anyone kick out of it yet. So. And I'll keep watching. And Vince uh, famously took one, didn't he? Brett says in his uh, in his autobiography, they're at a strip club one night, and Vince took everybody's finishes to prove how tough he was, including the Doomsday Device, <laughs> and it hurt him. Um, that Vince guy owns the whole company. Why is he trying to earn their respect? <laughs> Some of the other entrants in this: the Headbangers, the New Midnight Express, which was Bob Holly and Bart Gunn with Jim Cornette, the Godwins, the New Blackjacks. DOA, Los Bariquas, who were always uh, a guilty pleasure of mine, and the Quebecers. Uh, it's kind of a precursor to the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's so many stereotypes. There's hillbillies, there's, I think there's two biker teams, there's, like you said, there's the kind of there's the French Canadians. It's just so much to take. It's a good, that's. That's all. Oh no, that's that's really. One of them is one of them wearing like a Confederate's flag t shirt. And you're just thinking, oh, wrestling. I mean, some guy called Barry comes to the ring to eliminate chains, and you're there going, "I'm a 33 year old man. What am I doing? What am I doing watching this?" But I still kind of enjoyed it. So LOD won. They got a shot at the tag champs, the New Age Outlaws, at Unforgiven a month later, and they lost. Which is interesting. That one, you're having a number one contenders match on WrestleMania, and two, the match isn't on the WrestleMania card, which speaks again to this Russo continuous car crash element of WrestleMania. It's really I, I'm fascinated by this era. They should bring back In Your House as well, but not do it in the weird way they're doing it, where the In Your Houses all seem to be in Saudi Arabia. I thought this is actually quite a odd way to set up a number one contendership as well, because obviously you knew that LOD were going to win because they were the only ones that got any kind of entrance or any fuss made out well, of them. Well, WrestleMania started with Nation Domination coming out, didn't they? But yeah. And then... Um, it's a battle royal for tag teams. So if one of them gets eliminated, both of them get eliminated, I think. Yeah. But nobody actually knew the rules either in the ring or on the commentary team. And so there was just mass confusion. So it was just kind of good when it was all over and the chaos ended. One of, one of my favourite wrestling phrases that I completely forgot about came out in this match. The galvanised buckets. <laughs> <laughs> what is a galvanised? It's just a bucket, mate. What's it galvanised? doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it's galvanised with. It's it's galvanised. It'll hurt more. Adds an extra two pound onto the price of a yeah. bucket at B and Q if it's galvanised. <laughs> um, next, I want to talk about the IC title match between The Rock and Ken Shamrock. Now, The Rock here was escorted by Jennifer Flowers, and before his match, we had a pre-taped interview uh, conducted by Jennifer with the Great One, who was one of the, uh, or Jennifer, I should say, was one of the millions and millions of women who alleged sexual encounters with President Clinton. Uh, it featured Rock healing on homeless people, among others, and included the birth of the line. If you smell what the rock is cooking, Flowers handled ring entrances for this match, um, but it was it was the pre-match interview that that really um, stole our hearts, Carl. Just uh, the rock insisted he wouldn't be a leader of the nation, but he'd be a ruler, and uh, saying he doesn't really care what happens to the homeless as long as they just stay off his estate. Freshly mowed grass, his freshly mowed gra- pieces of trash, homeless pieces of trash. It was it was amazing, and I cannot wait to constantly share that clip when he runs for office. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, he'd be a hung jury. Did you enjoy it, Carrie? <laughs> I think my eyes were like saucers through this entire thing. Yes, I thought it was amazing. Can I just, so if Rock is judge and jury, no, sorry, he's a hung jury. Hung jury. Nine <laughs> times out of ten, he's a hung jury. 
What happens on the tenth occasion? Where do his cock and balls go then? <laughs> if you're, if, if you're really surely you're hung all the time, or you're not, like, where do they shrivel? Where do they go? That's when the strudel is undercooked. <laughs> <laughs> so Tennessee Lee introduced Jeff Jarrett. Carrie, how, how do you spell Jeff Jarrett? Um, no, don't know. You have to tell me again. Okay, it's J E double F J A double R E double T double J Jeff Jarrett, as Tennessee Lee said it. And Tennessee Lee, Robert Fuller, a Booker in Southern Territories back in the in the seventies and eighties, but he was he was Jarrett's manager around this time. As I say, Flowers did the ring entrances for some reason. Ken Shamrock obliterates the Rock in under five minutes, but the ref then reverses the decision after Shamrock snapped, which was his gimmick at the time. He beat up the Rock, the Nation, and a assortment of, of local indie guys. Axel, that's what you said, that uh, Shamrock sort of had fizzled out by the time we got to the mania a year later. My note here is, did he have an underrated WWF run? I'm guessing you would say probably not then. But then this match is... This match and what his encounter at the previous WrestleMania, you can see the hype. These two are clearly great athletes, and this is actually really fast-paced, entertaining stuff. I, I don't, I, I don't remember too much about Shamrock, but there's, there was something. There was something there. This guy was nails. This guy was quick around the ring. He looks so much like Rousey does when she's in the ring now. The throws look so similar. The power compared to the, his competitor or her competitor. You know how he how he is clearly more powerful and has more explosive strength is quite similar, and yet, and add with. The, some of the the nastiest chair shots either on the build up and in this match it feels like a, just a massive waste now I don't know whether he was invested whether they just couldn't get the storylines right or whether the crowd just didn't buy into him but there was something to work with surely Ken Chunks had a really interesting life um, so there's an article in Deadspin um, calling him the world's most dangerous can because he is now known as a tomato can for various not even UFC but Bellator and smaller uh, MMA divisions because that being opponent and an opponent who somebody can beat quite easily. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's his job now. He he gets beaten up for money, and he is the hey, you need to get to two two and zero or three and zero to get onto the UFC. You will beat up Ken Shamrock. Why didn't CM Punk fight him then? <sighs> Weight classes, I imagine. <laughs> um, and and the interesting thing about Ken Shamrock and his entire run in WWE is because he doesn't know what he wants to be. So he's in the UFC at the time when the UFC isn't really a thing. And isn't it's it's still human cockfighting this weird Las Vegas thing where people are fighting in karate keys versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu isn't really known right now. So he doesn't know what he's doing there. He comes to WWE, he's given a bit of a rub, he's not particularly good in the mic. But again, as Axel said, he's got all these flashes where you can see stuff. And I I remember scribbling down in my notes right at the end, the mummy gets the ankle lock on the rock and went, Oh my god, he's proto Kurt Angle. I mean that that's one, we're talking about Kurt Angle again, uh, and like you can see the difference in like when Kurt came into the ring, everything worked because Kurt was funny and knew how to take the mick out of himself and had you know he had a great aerial game, could do more things. Whereas Ken Shamrock was very much I do one thing, and it didn't work because at the time there was an abundance of people who had explosive strength in WWE. You needed to have more. You needed to be funny or self-deprecating or have or have a bit more about you because when you're up against the rock stone cold mankind triple h kane undertaker just being able to lift up someone who's 400 pounds isn't enough and that's unfortunately why ken shamrock fizzled out 
My main memory of, of Shamrock is him and uh, The Rock being in the ring doing a promo side by side and Rock just putting his hand up and going, shut your mouth, Kenny. Um, Gary, did you, did, were you much of a Shamrock mark? Was he, I think Carl sort of found the, um, the head of the nail there in that he's basically Kurt Angle without any personality. Yeah, so not really my kind of thing. But again, you can see why he was signed. I mean, you can see all his qualities. And again, this is about the time when Vince is going, oh, people who look big and strong and are legit, let's get them in and see what we can do with them. Because Vince likes people who look like they can fight, whether they can fight or not, but obviously Shamrock could. But in terms of pro wrestling, that's not enough. And Vince is still learning this lesson 20 years on. All right, well, we've got through the uh, the main matches, but there's loads more to come. We're going to take a little pause for the cause. Stick around. Parts Unknown continues. Now, if you like pyrotechnics, you are in for a treat in the hype vid for the next match. It was Undertaker versus Kane in the first of their two Mania offerings. Kane had debuted during the finish of the first ever Hell in a Cell match between Taker and Shawn Michaels at Bad Blood the previous October. If you're ever flicking around the network looking for something to watch, watch that. It is a sensational match. Um, so the hype vid showed us the background for the feud. For those of us who, uh, who hadn't seen it or maybe weren't around at the time, Anton, Kane versus Undertaker brother versus brother, uh, how did it come about? Paul Bearer played a significant role. So Paul Bearer effectively let slip that uh, Undertaker burnt down a uh, family home. Parents died. Everyone thought Kane died. Kane hadn't died. You know, the rumours of his, his existence and then came out of Bad Blood in October the year, be- uh, the year before. And then these two just... And this is where the few kind of got confusing because the two... Were, you know, Kane was basically just out to be his nemesis and you know just destroy Taker, and then they kind of teamed up for a little while. And it was a setup all along, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the crowd loved them teaming up, so that they kept them together a little bit longer than they probably should have done, and then rushed the end of the feud to get to this bit here. But I mean, it's the it's the genesis of arguably one of the best feuds in WWF history because big shout. Oh, it's just, it's just really creative. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, it's the great—it's the greatest entrance of a character in WWE history. No one will ever enter WWE. That's gotta be Kane. Yeah, no one will ever ever enter WWE that well. And somebody ripping the door and going through that was, you know, but also just we saw Brock Lesnar use that at this year's Hell in a Cell. But he comes down, rips it, stands next to the Undertaker. He looks bigger than the Undertaker at yeah. this time. Who Undertaker has just destroyed the champion in one of the greatest matches in WWE history. It better than you can't write a comic book better than that. Let alone... But that's the thing. They've actually used fiction. It's not an I hate you. It's not a I want to be the best. I, you know, I'm going to team up with Vince or a corporation. This is just some sort of weird, dark family feud that's been kept for almost soap opera kind of comic book style that they would never be able to do now. They would genuinely never be able to do this. And, I, you know, it, there were flaws, obviously, in the, in the, in the plotline and the storyline, but actually... Like fair play to them for trying something like that, and it and it worked. Like people were really, really into these two massive mystic dudes just beating the crap out of each other. Carrie, did you enjoy the stuff in the build that focused on the pyrotechnics, like setting a ring attendant on fire and the lightning bolt that hits yeah. the casket and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I like stuff like that. I like people being on fire. I like pyrotechnics. <laughs> I just don't like watching Undertaker wrestling or Kane particularly. So yeah, that, the bit the bit in the ring was a bit of a letdown. But I like Paul Bearer because he's endlessly entertaining, and so I enjoyed his uh, his shenanigans. And yeah, I like the fire. 
Yeah, it was only about 10 years into watching WWF that I realised that Paul Bearer... It's a pun. Yeah, it's a pun yeah. on, on Paul Bearer. A very good pun as well. And Wait, what? Yeah, Paul Bearer. Of course! <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not immediately obvious, is it? Carl, you you're the cleverest bloke I know, so this is quite a, a quite a thing if you've only just got this. No. <laughs> Kane versus Undertaker this one. Kane obviously was previously a deadly dentist during his run in in the WWF, but this was where he would find his niche. In terms of the Undertaker streak matches, we talked about one of the worst ever last week. Where does this one sit? Is this like a a nice little breath of fresh air in in the pile of manure that we've seen over the past 5 oh, yeah. years or this so? Is, this is this is the palate cleanser. This will be the last good one I think we'll get from The Undertaker because we're, we're going backwards. So I think this is the last good Undertaker match at WrestleMania we're going to get. It's great. It's It's got uh, that weird Undertaker pocket dimension where no one sells anything. Um, it's got the thing that WWE really struggles with where they understand fraternal hatred just for a little bit. We're like, of course, they're brothers. So they fight like brothers would fight, which is not so much... I'm trying to beat you up, but just I need to nullify you and remove you from my plane of existence because we can't both be here. Um, it's it's great. It's got the it's like Young Kane is phenomenal because he is so good with comic timing. So because he's mute, he has to transmit a lot of information with how his head moves, and he gets so much around by just tilting his head, moving his arm, putting his hand up. I'm like, oh yeah, this is amazing, and it's no wonder he's the mayor. Because obviously you can transmit so much information by not particularly saying much, like all good politicians. He went mute voice box gimmick to being able to to speak, didn't he? There's that memorable bit of him with his voice box where he teamed up with DX for a bit and went, suck it, on one raw. This, this uh, is a good yeah. match. Like, in, especially for Undertaker matches at Romania. This is a good match. You get the takers dive over the top rope that goes through the announce table. You've got a beautiful reversal into a pile driver that Taker kicks out of. And something that both Carl and Carrie have mentioned before about the number of pile drivers it t- takes Undertaker to put you away it takes three and it, that kind of builds up to the fact that you know you need this this force this this thing that Kane is it takes so much but also builds into this matches with Lesnar builds into you know how many F5s it takes to to put you know to put down reins that we see with you know all these kind of things and it's it's evident in this match I think this again I think this match is, is pretty good I think because we're learning that Undertaker isn't as good as we think he is we're also beginning to understand how good Kane was because at this point in time Undertaker's fizzling out this is not working it's no surprise that you know a couple of Wrestlemania's afterwards Undertaker's like this This dead man thing's not working I need to go be a nightclub bouncer biker guy because this is too stupid because Kane's not around anymore Kane's not you cannot be an ethereal force unless you have something to push up against and for so long it was Kane and it was Paul Bearer and The Undertaker who came up with the idea of Kane, wasn't it? When they were riding together, they said, if we're going to extend this this gimmick of you being The Undertaker, we need to add something else to it. And hey, what about if you had a long-lost brother? And I think we're quite enjoying this show overall, WrestleMania 14. And maybe that's because the WWF had a bit of competition from WCW and ECW at this time, which inspired Vince and Co. to up their game. Speaking of Vinnie Mac, there was a welcome absence of him and his offspring here. But future McMahon-in-law Triple H was very much present and he bested Owen Hart in a European title match we spoke about uh, owen and how good he was last week but again i mean he goes through this with a sort of broken ankle essentially and still puts on a, a terrific match carrie did you enjoy this one i did yeah again find it Im- immensely sad to watch also we see china there um 
as an enforcer who cannot be stopped even through the power of Sergeant Slaughter's weird handcuffs. So she was handcuffed to Slaughter throughout this. Slaughter was the commissioner at this point, I think I'm right in saying, which is an occasional uh, role that they have on Raw. Uh, but yeah, she she threw something in his face that that it's damn magic powder, it's yeah, China magic, usually reserved for um, Asian wrestlers. The the old powder to the yeah. face, isn't it? But but she managed to get it maybe because she's China, of course. So it makes sense. <laughs> there we doesn't go. It? <laughs> it's a pun, Carl. Do you get it? Oh! <laughs> um, so Triple H got played to the to the ring by the DX band. The DX theme. Where does that sit? I, I, I that's in my top five wrestling entrance themes but i can see noses and lips being curled all around me i like the idea of a faction having their own band i quite like that as in it's our music these guys play it these guys turn up everywhere just to annoy you i, I like that idea it's all right it's it's all right it's, all right. it's great it's, it's, rage, it's, it's rage against the machine it, it, yeah yeah it's got that opening bit that we talk about with brock lesnar and stone cold and yeah no, definitely like, doom, doom. Definitely. I don't know why there's just something that irritates me about it. I, I think that's kind of the point because they were quite an irritating faction. But yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's great wrestling music. It was great. He has. It's got the same thing that happens to a lot of Shawn Michaels things, where it's really cool when he's in his twenties coming up to the music, and he comes out in his forties. Like, that is that is really stupid. <laughs> he's just a sexy boy. In his mid-40s, <laughs> prancing around in, in sort of shiny clothes. Yeah. I like the, the the kayfabe from the band here in that they didn't sing, or the singer didn't sing to Triple H. He saved that for Shawn Michaels because he was the leader of the faction, which I'm sure is something that they did on purpose. So Tripp's got the win here, big win for him. Next night on Raw, of course, would be even more significant. Carl, can you remember why? Uh, is it the MSG incident? No. It is when he becomes the leader of the new Degeneration X and brings in his mate. When you when you you look to your buddies, you look to your friends, you look to the click. Carrie, which is your favourite iteration of DX out of Sean and <laughs> uh, Triple H with Rick Rude for a bit and China, or Triple H, the Outlaws and X Pac? God, that's like saying, oh, I don't know. I think you should probably phrase it as which is your which is the least worst. <laughs> um. Probably the former. Uh, I would go with really? them the least worst. Yeah. Okay. Carl, you, I was a big fan of the WCW invasion angle and I thought the the, the four actually did a bit more than, than the two. Maybe Sean and Triple H were just two mates. Sean Michael should have never been in DX. It doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's really weird how, apparent, well, according to Sean Michaels, there was a point in time where WWE was going through a way and then Sean went to Vince, we need to get cooler. DX, attitude era, blah, blah, blah. Which... Is one funny because of course DX is what Shawn Michaels thinks is cool because DX suck. <laughs> Not like they're terrible, but DX is what an eight-year-old thinks is cool, which is why I loved them when I was eight years old. So when I was in school, everyone was crotch chopping and giving suckets and whatever to whoever, and you know, Your school was weird. I went to I went to boys' school. We were bronco bustering and giving DX suckets and whatever because that was that was cool if you're eight years old. But I don't think Shawn Michaels or Triple H knew that what they were doing was only cool to like under 14-year-olds rather than 20-year-olds. Anton, I'm under 14 because I really thought DX was cool and I sort of still do now. Where do you, um, <laughs> where do you, you. sit on that? I'm kind of with you. They're silly cool. Though they are juvenile, I yes. think is the best way to frat put boys. it. No, worse than no, frat boys. No, worse than frat boys. Yeah. Uh, no. DX, no, can't, I, I, no, DX frat, frat... can't drive. NWO can. 
Yeah. Okay. Fine. That's that's a nice way of putting it. One thing. One thing I'm watching. So watching Hank, uh, China handcuff and sort of steal the show effectively in this match made me think of what a waste of talent Nia Jax is. So Jax is could be this enforcer, but they've turned a heel and they've turned a face, and she was brilliant as a face. So the crowd really got behind her. Then they turned a heel again, so they could get her against Rousey, and now she's kind of currently off WWE programming. And just kind of think. As a silent assassin, if you want to learn how to be that character, go back and watch China. Go back and yeah, if, that, if that's the character you think you could be, go. And, if she doesn't, do why don't someone else go away and do and do that? But if she does want to be that, would they let her? Because then it would involve intergender stuff. Be and you know how WWE yeah. feel about that. But no, I think she'd be the, awesome at that because literally the only storyline they seem to be able to think up for Nia Jax is you're bigger than the other women. Yeah. So yeah, stick her in with the men. See what but happens. It, it doesn't have to be. But I just think a silent assassin and enforcer you know I think it would just be a, a, the women's division is big enough now it doesn't need to get involved in, in men's matches or factions can be intergender I still don't understand why there aren't more intergender factions right speaking of DX the tag title match at 14 was um, unique the New Age Outlaws lost the belts to Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie in a dumpster <laughs> match um, who'd like to explain the concept of this match fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's a uh, grandpa death Terry Funk. <laughs> yeah, fifty-three year old Terry Funk. Yeah, this is fifty-three year old just finished filming Beyond the Mat, so we know the state of his knees. Terry Funk um, dumps the match, so it, it's similar to a table match. So you win by putting an opponent into a dumpster. Close the. Du- yeah, it's like no, sorry. A dumpster match is similar to a casket match. You put your opponent into the dumpster, close the lid, and you win. Um, and yeah, it's just so gratuitous so stupid so gleefully terry funk funk does a funk in a bin yeah he goes missing for for five minutes and it comes out just apparently it was his idea to put some pantyhose over his head cover it in talcum powder and call himself chainsaw charlie it's it's at that point you go listen (laughs) You know, we can put people through rehab if you want, but maybe just go and have a chat to somebody about what's going on in your middle-aged and crazy brain because that's very strange. It is very strange, but I was, as Carl would say, I was sports entertained by this, despite it being the most ridiculous, pathetic thing I've ever seen. These middle-aged men just running about into dumpsters. So the result would be overturned the next night. Uh, Cactus Jack and uh, <laughs> Terry Funk thing. won uh, because of the famed wrong dumpster rule, of course. <laughs> they they didn't put them in the official dumpster of the match. The Outlaws won the belts in a cage match on Raw the next night. It was significant for Mick Foley this match. Does anybody know why? Silence over the airwaves. Uh, his reaction to this in, in real life, he was really, really pissed off because, as he put it, he felt X-Pac's balls bouncing on his face. He was in legitimate pain from what happened the next night and people in the crowd thought it was the end of the show so started leaving and Fink had to get on the mic and say, don't forget, coming in a minute, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the crowd started chanting Austin, Austin. And he, uh, in reality, thought, I've given my body again for this company and nobody's acknowledging it, not even the fans. And that was what inspired him to suggest the heel turn as do love to then go on and oppose Austin as his first... Wow. Um, challenger. Mick Foley's got a really, really brilliant wrestling brain. Oh, fantastic. 
That was a bit of a gross out match. The first singles bout of the night, though, anything but absolute barn burner. They stuck out like a sore thumb at the time. It's probably the sort of thing you see on 205 Live every week now. I wouldn't know because I don't watch 205 Live. But Takamichi Noku beats Aguila to retain the WWF light heavyweight title. Um, Taka was the first WWF light heavyweight champ. He beat Brian Christopher in the final of a tournament to determine the new champ at the DX pay-per-view in December 97. Um, Carly still wrestles nowadays, doesn't he, in NJPW? Oh, yeah. And is still great. One of the greatest ever juniors in wrestling history i love this match it, in the same way that you know the light heavyweight belt only existed because wcw had the cruiserweights and and they both when you watch them all back now yeah the entire product may be you may have a bad show but there will be a good cruiserweight or light heavyweight match because they're largely context free or storyline free it's just here's two incredible athletes fighting for 20 minutes and i really enjoyed this match jerry lawler is so racist oh, really on commentary racist. At this match, um, I'm this, surprised. In, this entire WrestleMania uh, has so many Monica Lewinsky jokes. I'm watching it now, going, "Wow, wow!" Because I was I was a child. I didn't. I don't know. I still don't particularly know how or what impact the Monica Lewinsky scandal was in life. And just every 20 minutes, there's a joke about Monica Lewinsky. I'm like, "Wow, that's <laughs> past different country." Hev- heavily Republican <laughs> WWF making lots of. Uh... Clinton and Lewinsky jokes. Yeah, sure. they are. <laughs> Carrie, was this the match of the night? Yeah, I think probably it was in terms of kind of in in ring content. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it too, and I can really get on board with these kind of cruiserweight matches, which is weird because I talk about how much I like storyline a, a lot. But if it's spectacle that actually hangs together, and there's a kind of we're fighting for this championship story coming over, and there's that kind of sportsmanship thing at the end, the kind of shaking hands. Yeah, I like that too. This kind of self-contained and it makes sense and it's not kind of contaminated by the nonsense that's going on elsewhere. I really enjoyed it. A bit, uh, bit of belt porn as well. Yeah, the, oh, lovely this the, one. The, 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 oh, the, light heavyweight, the light heavyweight belt looks like a mix between the Intercontinental and the current Universal Championship. But it's rare. I like it. It's, it looks of its time as well. Yeah, I liked it. Um, Aguilar, a.k.a. S.A. Rios, uh, a big inspiration for a current at the time of recording WWE champion. Anyone know who that is? Pete Dunne, uh, for the reason ah. being that uh, when he was a kid, around your, well, he's a bit younger than you, Kyle, isn't he? But that uh, was when Sunday Night Heat was on Channel 4, so that was the only wrestling on terrestrial telly, and S.A. Rios was on that show pretty much every week, and he was Pete Dunne's favourite, and that's one of the reasons why he got into wrestling. So, Fantastic. A bit of a footnote in, in company history, but I think Pete Dunne will be a bit more than that. Now, last and in many ways least, we got a mixed tag match between Mark Miro and Sable versus the artist formerly known as Gold Dust and Luna. Um, the first hype video of the night we got for this, they, they use them sparingly here. Is that kind of a good thing? We, we sort of... All of us, I'm sure, when we get round to watching these WrestleManias and we pretty much do it in batches, as we know when we're going to record, we are uplifted when we see that these shows are less than three hours long. And and, and part of the reason for that is because they don't stuff them with hype videos. You just go match, match, match. Is that is that a good thing or do you need the, the, the hype video to get you hyped? Sometimes I need the hype video if I don't remember the context. and I, you know, You've got to trawl through Wikipedia and try and make sense of what the hell was going on at this point. But, um, yeah, I could have done with um, probably a lengthy hype video explaining what the hell was going on in this mixed tag. Although I did quite enjoy it in a weird way. I really like Sable. I'm really um, confused by this match because the, the, the adversaries aren't Goldust 
or Luna, the adversary is Mark. Because the entire storyline is about Sable and how Sable is gone going from being, oh, you're the valet sex object to the crowd really, really liking you. You're becoming a genuine competitor. Mark not being able to deal with that, both found out later on in real life as well, not being able to cope with Sable becoming more popular than him. So it should have been an intergender match between Sable and Mark, but you get this weird beauty and beast weird thing going on with Goldust because obviously Goldust, I love early Goldust because he provokes such a bizarre reaction from crowds and you can't quite place him. Um, yeah, really bizarre match. And it just makes me think a lot about Sable and like how in control Sable was of storylines going on around her life because she's fascinating. Sable is amazing in this match as well. In the ring is absolutely brilliant when i look back and thought of sable i've kind of thought of you know sort of somebody's very pretty that the blokes all got behind and there wasn't really much to it. she's got an f5 and she delivers it better than mark miro do you reckon it, she taught that to her husband oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, this is like this is actually a this, it's it's a good match like at one point law says oh, there's a cat fight and it was not like they're genuinely sort of going at it between the two the the i thought the hype video was good because i needed that explanation but also put so, yeah, it was Miro not really sort of accepting Sable's popularity in this kind of controlling way, but also then kind of almost weirdly teaming up and sticking up for her against these two oddballs. That, and, and also made the most of Luna's great promo. Like, I'm going to take your Estee Lauder face and turn it into an Andy Warhol original. And that kind of, it's like, brilliant. I don't understand really what's going on, but great. <laughs> like, why not? It's just, it's just silly and fun. But Sable's amazing. Like, she's just... I genuinely can't believe how good she was in the ring and I can't and the crowd react to it mm. the crowd react to how legitimate she is in the spots that she takes part in and that is how you sell a what we now call superstar um, we've sort of brushed over the artist formerly known as Goldust why was he the artist formerly known as Goldust at this time he was not so if I remember correctly he was Goldust didn't like Goldust went over to WCW got rebranded as Seven immediately seven comes out in sort of this weird uh, cowboy jacket and a cowboy hat and was meant to be a big brooding character the crowd immediately rejects it bursts out laughing <laughs> gold dust dustin uh, cuts a promo going this is nonsense i can't keep doing this with wcw next week i'm just going to be dustin that doesn't work comes back to wwe and and, and for reasons and trademark stuff which is like well i'd just be the artist formerly known i think i could be completely wrong and have my dates wrong I remember him. Um, Goldust was out of you know, not because obviously not in good shape. He was now bizarrely twenty odd years later. He was a big fat bloke at this time, wasn't he? But how much he looks like his dad in Alien Drag, effectively, is what he looks like in this match. It's really he looks so much like Dusty. I, I, I can't help but see Dusty just in weird makeup and fishnet, and it's a real it's a real mindfuck. <laughs> there was a, a pay per view at this time where he came out with Luna and just read a section from Green Eggs and Ham, and then walked back again, and that was kind of the artist formerly known as, as Gold Dust. Um, Carrie, explain Luna Vachon. Um, according to an article I read on this, she was told that she'd be fired if Sable got hurt in this match, but she was she was uh, the sort of in-ring veteran who was helping guide mm. Sable through it, but she, she was an interesting character in and of herself. She was very interesting, and I... I think I'm right in saying that she was also quite annoyed by this match because she thought that she was carrying Sable through, but it was Sable getting the pops and all the credit for it afterwards. But 
it's wrestling, isn't it? They all, they all think that about each other all the time. So I don't know whether I should take that with a pinch of salt or not. So that was that. I'm biased because it's the first Mania I ever watched, but I thoroughly enjoyed this show for the most part. Um, anybody got a WrestleMania moment? If I, if I could chip one in, it's the it's the vignette that they aired at this time where the wrestlers had to prove how legitimate they were because they'd done other sports. So Ron Farouk Simmons, my jersey was retired at Florida State. Like, yeah, very good. What does that mean for wrestling? Carrie, you got one? Uh, yeah, let's go with uh, Sable's Powerbomb. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to go stone cold, double middle fingers, but giving birth the attitude there. It's a pretty significant one, Anton. Can you top it? Oh, it's got to be Rock's interview as as leader of the ruler of the world. How can you just please go back and watch it? It is utterly bizarre when you think this man could run for president. Next week, we're all off to the Rosemont Horizon. Now, there's a wrestling phrase that we love for WrestleMania 13. Yep, the classic double turn of Bret Hart and Stone Cold. Also, Undertaker versus Psycho Sid, Rocky Maivia's WrestleMania debut, and a cracking tag match with far too many now departed competitors. Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter? At Carrie Sparkle. Carl. And Command 616. Axel. At Sky Anton. We need to change that, don't I? (laughs) At It's Axel, I think would be a good one. DDP. DDP Axel. (laughs) We are at the PU Podcast. I'm at MJDAFC. Do give us a, a review, a share, a subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. Thanks for joining us this week. I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. <laughs>